Welcome to Rewired, a podcast where we discuss our own journeys with an eating disorder and how we rewired our brains away from an ED mindset to full recovery. We will also be joined by inspirational guests who share their experience, knowledge and advice to give hope and show that recovery is possible. Hi, I'm Sophia. And I'm Meg. Welcome to the Rewired podcast. Hey, Sophia. Hey, Meg. You okay? Yeah, good. Thank you. So today we were going to talk about quite a specific element of recovery, but such an important one, which is around how we face challenges, food challenges, fear foods, breaking rules, that kind of thing. And Sophia and I both had the same treatment, which was CBTE. We actually had the same therapist in Dubai. And a really core part of CBTE is the fact that it's actions based. It's about behaviors. It's about breaking your rules and facing fears that kind of thing so certainly for me how I kind of went about challenges and learning how to do them to be honest and how to sit with the discomfort of doing them how to not compensate after doing them because that would have just negate having done it that kind of thing like how to repeat challenges and get to the point where these fear foods were no longer fear foods that was just such a massive part of my recovery I don't know if you felt the same with our treatment absolutely I think that was the main part of our treatment that made such a difference to me because it wasn't about just talking about recovery and what I'd been through in the past or what I was hoping for in the future it was like how are you going to take action today like how are you going to what are you going to change this week so when I see you in the next session next week how do we know that you've moved on in your recovery totally agree and with that as well I quite often had the feeling of I'd leave sessions feeling so motivated, like, here we go, I'm going to go and do this until I came to face something scary or until I stepped into the kitchen for my lunch and it just kind of flew out the window. And then like on the spot facing food, it's a totally different story. So I feel like a lot of what I gained from treatment was learning not just to be motivated after a session, but how do I translate that into action so even when that motivation deserts me how do I still do the action anyway like when it's the last thing in the world that I want to do it feels so terrifying to me how do I still do it despite those feelings what was that for you what was the thing that helped you in the moment the most well I think firstly almost anticipating that it's going to be hard like not expecting that I'm going to walk in there with all this motivation and I'm not going to have my incentives fully ready to hand and I know exactly why I want to do it so here we go but kind of yeah, anticipating this is going to be really tough, Mm. but I'm going to do it despite it feeling tough. And then I had a few tools that I would use on the spot to try and help as much as I could connect to what were my incentives? Why did I want to do this? Why didn't I want to stay ill? Why did I want to get better? Um, That kind of bigger picture view as well of I'm making a decision now, but it's not just a decision for now. It's putting me on a path for my future and all of the decisions that I make and all of the moments that I live in add up to become my life so I'm not just acting in the moment like that collection of moments becomes a week becomes a month becomes a year and is it aligned to how I want to live so I had a few kind of tools I would say that helped me to connect to that but also to some extent it never worked perfectly I never stood in the kitchen used a tool and then thought oh now I remember all of my motivation or the complete reason why I want to do this let's go because my brain was wired against it. Everything in my body and being and brain told me not to do the thing that I was about to do. So to some extent, I think it was, yeah, that anticipating it's not going to feel right. I'm never going to feel ready. I'm just going to do it anyway. And then tolerate the discomfort afterwards, distract from this discomfort, that kind of thing. What about you? 
Yeah, no, I would agree with you. Really, really similar. And clinging on to my why was really, really important. And remembering that in the moment, my why is not going to be as powerful as it is when I'm not challenging something. So really like thinking about the why beforehand and then almost visualizing doing the act, doing the challenge. Um, also reaching out for people, you know, when I needed help was really important. So I would leave my session with Kareen when I had all that motivation to do the challenges. It's like when we left a session with Kareen, it's almost like you just watched a TED talk. <laughs> That's how I felt. I was like, literally, I was like, it felt like I just come, come out of a TED talk and I was like, yes, I could do it. I'm like a recovery warrior. Um, yeah, no, literally. And um, so whatever the challenge should set me for that week usually um my husband and I would do that one like that night like one of the times because with challenging you have you can't just do it once in that week we would do it like two to three times right Meg you say yeah um so I would do one of them usually that night when my motivation was really really high and um I had the support of my husband so that was one time and then maybe my second or third time doing the food was way like maybe mid to the end of the week when I was you know that motivation was starting to go down a little bit or I was on my own and I didn't have his support so I think thinking about all the things that can help you in the moment do it and be successful like don't be hard on yourself don't say well I should be able to do it by myself or I should be able to do it when I haven't just had a therapy session do it think about how you can be successful first time and then that will help you with the future times because when you've done it the first time it does it's really tough and it's really challenging but the second time it is easier and then the third time it's a bit easier and the fourth time it's a bit easier and it just gets easier and easier and easier and you don't need like those factors to like help you um be successful as time goes on yeah but it kind of neutralizes and becomes your new norm a little exactly bit. exactly I don't know about you I found some things that happened really quickly with and some things took ages like some things honestly I'd face this thing that I'd feared for years I thought it was terrifying I'd do it and be like oh what was the fuss about like genuinely I was like oh that was actually fine like I feel completely fine and then all of a sudden I could now do that thing no problem but then other things oh it was so long to challenge them before they neutralized and sometimes even the second time wasn't easier sometimes I found the first time almost confirmed see this is why you're so scared of it this is why it's so terrible. Look how awful you feel now. So don't go and do that again because, you know, you're going to feel terrible again. So sometimes it was like pushing through that feeling and doing it again anyway, not compensating around it to make myself feel better for it. And then repeating it again the next day or a couple of days later and keeping going with that until it neutralized. And everything did neutralize everything. There's nothing that's remained scary. Some things just had a longer time frame than others. What do you think makes that? why why are some foods harder than others do you think I don't know maybe how long some things have been avoided for or how much you'd bigged it up in your head mm. I'm not sure yeah did you enjoy the process at all because even though like sometimes it was full of anxiety to the point of me not even being able to enjoy the food or even oh, I had to challenge foods yeah and I even had to mm. challenge foods like I didn't even enjoy like you know yeah. did you have to do that sometimes I couldn't even taste the food I used to say it tastes like anxiety 
like my skin would be crawling whilst I was eating it I couldn't I physically could not taste what was in my mouth like it was just and it was annoying because I had forbidden this food for so long and now was the moment I was allowed it I wanted it to be this monumental taste experience and then it just tasted of anxiety <laughs> what a waste <laughs> but it didn't forever again like after a yeah. couple of times I could then taste it and enjoy it but yeah <laughs> it's an investment it's an investment in your future ability to be able to eat all of those things right yeah so I think sometimes it was yeah and and still to be honest some of the food that I challenged in recovery I still am not a massive fan of but I think there's such a difference between fearing a food and not particularly liking a food like if there's a food that I'm not such a fan of I know I can still eat it like it's not a big deal if that's the only option there is and I can eat it and carry on with my day and I think that's why it's really important to challenge foods not just the ones that you like or you love or you really want to eat it's really important to challenge all the foods but then you can choose from a genuine point of preference as well not a point of fear which I've disguised as preference or I'm not 100% if it's preference I'm just saying that it is but you get to a point where because everything feels neutral now I can genuinely choose what my preferences are yeah definitely there were certainly foods where I was like absolutely 100% sure I hated them like definitely sure that I hated yeah. them and then as I recovered I was like oh actually I do like them sometimes they can be the hardest ones to challenge as well because they're so unjustified if I'm challenging something like cake or ice cream or something that I, I'm going to really enjoy the taste of and I feel like an immediate reward from it that can feel like a justification within itself like well I really enjoyed the food so it was worth it but if especially for me, if I was challenging things where there was a lower calorie alternative available and maybe it didn't taste that much different or, you know, there wasn't much reason to kind of spend my calories, like spend a few more calories on it. That was like an added layer of challenge for me. Like I would call it unnecessary calories. And it was like within itself, it was a challenge to challenge unnecessary calories. But I feel like that is so important because at that point, it's not even really about what that food is. It's about the fact that food has that kind of hold over you, that you even see a food as unnecessary or necessary or, you know, living with that fear of unnecessary calories is horrendous within itself. You can't let people cook for you because you don't know what they're going to use. You can't just go to a restaurant because you don't know what what type of whatever they're going to put into your food. It re you live in this really controlled kind of like state of fear of, but what if I end up having to have my unnecessary calorie or, you know, just that act of trying to plan and think and cut things back to whatever you see the necessary version as that it's a, it's a big, like, it's a big impairment on your life living like that. Huge, huge. And I think, I mean, that's hugely come from diet culture, this idea of like, is it worth it? Like, that kind of thing and I think it's so important to challenge those things for all of the reasons that you said and like imagine even going to the supermarket if you expected a particular food item that you maybe is like lower in calorie or a lower fat version and if it's not available only the higher one is available like in my eating disorder that would have sent me into turmoil and totally stressed me out probably for the day and yeah. like it, that's why you have to challenge these things even though they might be available sometimes they're not always going to be available like you said you want to be able to go to a friend's house and not have to basically ask them what ingredients they've been using it's not in line with your values it's not in line with the way you want to live so it's important yeah and it depends what your goals are in recovery I guess but mine was definitely to get to a point of almost being indifferent around food like I enjoy the taste but it doesn't have power over me you know I didn't I didn't want that kind of emotional or stressful connection to it and if I'd have kept a belief that there was such a thing as an unnecessary calorie I'd, I never would have been able to reach that kind of level of freedom around food. Did you ever enjoy any of the challenge process? Because for me, even though so much of it was 
level of anxiety there was especially as recovery went on it was actually quite fun and like my husband would be you know after my session with Kareen he would say right what are we challenging this week and it was like right we're eating this 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 and it was quite cool because we'd go out and be like eating all these foods and it was fun because for so long for so many years we had been going out for food where he would eat I either wouldn't eat or bring my own food or we wouldn't go out to eat at all it was all completely governed by like my eating disorder rules so it was so nice to be like throw the rule book out the window we're doing this challenge this Mm -hmm. week did you have Mm -hmm. any of that at all yeah I can see that after so long of not having these things and suddenly learning that actually they're okay like the joy that comes in that and also like you're even saying there, like the social connection and stuff as well it's not even just the food like it opens up yeah exactly that's what it was it was the connection and yeah just being able to be fun and spontaneous and just go with the flow a bit more um yeah I think my overriding memory of challenging is that it was pretty horrible (laughs) but like yeah very wanting to rip my skin off my body type feeling and and it was a long a long feeling as well it wasn't just sitting down to that meal and challenging that meal which was difficult or that snack or whatever it was that time of day that I was eating whatever the challenge was it was the whole period leading up to it sometimes I think about challenges for two days in advance I'd be at work and all I would think about is what I'm challenging at the weekend or whenever it was then it's the period of doing it and then sitting with this company afterwards and then it's the next thing you go to eat as well and not using that as a means of compensating for the last thing you've eaten to kind of quick fix that feeling, you know, and relieve the anxiety through a compensatory behavior. Like, well, if I eat less next time, I've made up for what I've just done and then I'll make myself feel better, which worked. I could do that. Compensation did work in that regard, but only worked in the short term, you know, and actually just served to reinforce the belief that, see, that thing is terrifying. You should avoid it. And then I'm back into the next time I face it, I've got the same belief in place. So yeah, I found the whole process a very long one that impacted a lot either side of the challenge. It was never the challenge in isolation, which was difficult. It was, yeah, it was a very extended period of discomfort. When did it start getting easier for you? Do you remember? Was it a particular time or was it a mind shift or just keep repeating? Maybe the process of challenging became easier in that I had evidence that it worked of past things that I challenged. But still, I found it incredible that even months down the line in my recovery, and I could have overcome a lot of my fears, I could face one new fear and be like, but this one's the one, like, this is the terrifying one, you know, and it was like, I'd never challenged anything before. Like, I believed so much that this one thing I was facing now was so overwhelmingly awful. And I would recall, like, no, you've done it in the past, and this food neutralized, like, do it for this one. But the belief that it was something bad, or that something bad was going to happen, whatever it was in my head that was bad that was going to happen was so true for that one new thing that I still had to like freshly go through the experience I guess I'd built up my toolbox a bit better found distractions that worked a bit better knew how to sit with the discomfort a bit better so in that sense I became a bit more practiced at challenging things but still for a long time for a lot of foods it it was very difficult was there anything that Bren could do that was able to help you or was it very much like a solo challenge were you very much like right I need to just crack on with this myself and I need to find the inner strength or was there any times where there was something he could do that could have supported you yeah really good question I think I was so lucky having Bren honestly because like you with your husband he could join me for things and we could get say a takeaway together if I was challenging a scary takeaway dish and not choosing my safe takeaway option he would get it with me and in that sense that was helpful um 
I suppose sharing with him my kind of toolbox, the items that did help me was helpful. So one thing I found really, really helpful was looking at why I didn't want to stay in my old behavior and why I did want to get out of it because my head naturally was sat in what's terrifying about getting out of it and what's safe and comfortable about staying in it. So it was almost flipping those thoughts and looking at the other side of it, because that's not a complete picture. Like by staying in a behavior, I'm sacrificing a lot of my life to stay in that behavior. And by letting it go, there's a lot that I stand to gain. Mm -hmm. So for me in that moment, flipping my thoughts and looking at that perspective, the well perspective, if you like, was really helpful. And so having Bren know stuff like that helped because he could help to enforce that message. So let's say it was a takeaway. I've used this as an example here. He could say, you don't want to be a person that can only order one thing. You don't want to go to a friend's house. And if they're ordering this scary option, you can't have it. You So that's what you don't want from staying with the behavior. And then on the other side, what you stand to gain, you do want to be a person that's spontaneous. You do want to be a person that can eat anything. You do want to be a person that can take food suggested by other people and not have your own special meg adaptations so he could help in that sense i suppose to know like this is helpful messaging the flip side of what's automatically in my head is helpful to draw my attention to that's really good advice that's really really helpful yeah i would also share with my husband like things that kareen had said in therapy sessions that i'd found really helpful so he could yeah reflect that back during the challenging moments did you like make a note of them? Because again, in the moment, it all just flies out your head, doesn't it? All of this stuff makes so much sense. Maybe when you're listening to a podcast, watching a YouTube video, listening to a therapist, something like that, but then put on the spot in front of a challenge, it just goes, it evaporates. It literally evaporates. Yeah, no, I would literally talk to him about my session every evening after having it. And I think, yeah, and I would always make notes on my therapy sessions. So it was always helpful to look back on those. And we always had like assignments and exercises as well that would keep it at the forefront um, throughout. Writing notes, I found so, so helpful. Like I, especially if I was facing something very challenging, I would write out lists before having it of something like what I just said, that kind of flip side of my automatic thoughts. Like, why do I not want to stay in the eating disorder behavior? Why do I want to let it go? So I'd write those two lists kind of thing, like split a page in two and write those two lists out. And I'd literally do it before I ate the thing, during eating the thing, after it, when I was sitting with the discomfort. And sometimes the list would be identical all three times. And then I would just chuck them away at the end. It wasn't mm. like sometimes with the recovery as well, I think you do homeworks as like a standalone homework that then goes in a, a folder and never gets looked at again. But I think the point of these things is that you have to be replaying them all the time. Like if you think how much your eating disorder is playing in your head, you're in it all the time it's on a loop so the least you can do you know is write a list read a list I think writing is better than reading for me it was anyway 100% saying it's something about being practical isn't it and using your mind and physically doing something like it, it helps doesn't it to be writing yeah D did you have any other kind of toolbox items if we're going to call them that that you yeah. use in the moment or before or during or after yeah, I mean, mantras were always really helpful to me. Uh, watching, um, like motivating YouTube or podcasts beforehand, like you said, writing out your incentives about why you want to recover. And um, I would literally set my mind to what I was going to do. So rather than saying, oh, I'm going to go to this restaurant and I'm going to, you know, eat or I'm going to just order something. I've already got 
right, this is the challenge I'm going to do. I'm going to order this. I'm not going to change it. No adaptations, like no compensating. Like I literally told myself over and over, this is what I'd good. So it was very intentional. It wasn't mm-hmm. like, oh, let's just see what I'm going to order when the menu comes. Like it was like, no, you know, I'm going to order the same as my husband or, you know, it's going to be. And, and because he knows my, you know, what I'd found difficult and challenging, there was like no getting out of it. You know what I mean? Like, so it was, um, yeah, making sure that you have people that are accountable to as well. Almost like having a set of ground rules in that situation. I would yeah. do the same if I was going to a restaurant. On the journey there, I would literally repeat over and over, order straight from the menu, doesn't matter what anybody else has, don't order a salad, no adaptations. That was what I would repeat. Oh, and no compensating. I would repeat that over and over again. And like you're saying with pre-planning, I would even decide okay, I'm having pasta before I got there. And then I didn't need to look through the whole menu. I knew I am having pasta or I am having burger. And then I think the more you can take decision-making out of it on the spot, the better with a challenge. Like you said, be very intentional, very defined around what the challenge is. And then even if you don't want to do it in that moment, that's the other thing I found a lot. Like, let's say this takeaway example, I don't know why I keep using this. On the spot, I would then think, but I don't actually want that takeaway now. I do want this other one or I do want something else. But I guess the point isn't that you're doing it because you want to do it right now. You're doing it because you want to be able to do it in the future. So almost just you're doing a challenge and that's what you're doing. Like I'm having this scary takeaway option, whether I feel like it or not, because ultimately I want to be able to have it. And then when it's neutralized, then I can make decisions from a point of preference and I can even make decisions, you know, without being paralyzed on the spot. But for now, I need decision making taken out of my hands. I need to be very prescribed completely really really agree with you for that like you're just doing it it's almost a bit mechanical in the beginning it's not like oh I'm an intuitive eater straight away and I'm just eating this or that because I feel like it or want it you're doing it so you have your body knows and your mind knows you have permission to eat those foods whenever you want so in the future you can be that intuitive eater that you want to be Meg what else do you have in your toolbox something that was really helpful for me was kind of picturing myself in the future maybe a year from now or five years from now and almost picturing two versions of myself and seeing that point in time as kind of a fork in the path and if I stayed doing the behaviors I'd always done I knew where I was going to be I was going to be in the life I was currently in I was going to have the same relationship with food the same isolation the same rigidity that kind of thing and I didn't want that versus picturing the life I actually did want and it didn't need to be like, I want to live in this house or have this job or be married to this person. I didn't, I don't mean stuff like that. It was more like, I want to walk into a supermarket and not have to flip a packet over before I buy wherever I buy. Or I want to walk into a supermarket, pick the first thing up and buy it immediately, not spend 30 minutes trying to make a decision, you know, not compare apples for size and crunchiness and color and da, 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 da. Um, so having those two pictures in my head I would then say to myself like what decision does this align to right now kind of which version of me what life is this giving me so again like stepping back from that decision in the moment and seeing the bigger picture of it of it's I'm not just acting on a momentary comfort right now I'm acting on a bigger picture what do I actually want there's a mantra around that that I used as well which is don't give up on what you want the most for what you want in the moment So especially if stuff like Christmas was coming up or a holiday was coming up, something like that, I would try and clearly have two pictures of myself on these two occasions, like two pictures of me on holiday, which one do I want to live or two pictures of me at Christmas, whatever, and then try and align my behaviours as I wanted to live versus what felt more comfortable in the moment. Yeah, and you could even like write out Christmas Day with your eating disorder on Christmas Day as a recovered person. And that's also a really good exercise, isn't it, to be able to compare 
and to see what is the one that you want and to try your best to challenge yourself now so that you can live in that for the rest of your life you know definitely and then really bring that to the food decision making moment so again it's not just done and shoved in a ring binder or in a notebook like the time you really need that is when you're making that decision around food so bring it into the kitchen with you read through it rewrite it even if you just do it as bullet points on your phone write rewrite three bullet points from each scenario just to connect you to that there's more to this decision than how I feel right now and then ultimately I think realizing that whatever tool I had however good it was it was never gonna be the magic bullet in that moment and it was still going to be difficult and I think often I found most helpful in those situations facing food was just to block the eating disorder thoughts that I was getting and have something to replace it like opposite actions or I used to say Bren baby's bones which was three of my big incentives but just something to keep me focused and sometimes I'd literally sing like la 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 in my head like not listening to you because sometimes I found if I tried to challenge every eating disorder thought that I got I would just end up paralyzed on the spot like I could never challenge enough there was always another thought ready to come and I challenge one thing away like a reason around weight gain perhaps the food that I was going to face a food and then I'd get another thought like oh but something else in the fridge needs eating up and then I'd have to challenge that thought way. And then it'd be like, oh, but you're eating out with so-and-so tonight. There was just always another reason from the eating disorder side not to do it. And I could have spent hours in the kitchen battling those. So uh, to some extent, I found just blocking them and being like, no brain, I'm not listening to that. Or even thank you brain. Like, I know you're trying to help me. You're trying to keep me safe. This is what we've learned we need to do. Like, I know you're trying to help, but no, it's not helping anymore. It's actually holding me back in life. Opposite actions. Exactly. And then the Bren baby's bones kind of like trumps everything because it's very difficult for your eating disorder self to kind of twist it in any way to make that, that the eating disorder can help you to achieve those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then also, if you don't have anything, just blind faith as well. Sometimes I felt like I was just acting on pure, I don't really know why I'm doing this. I feel like I'm throwing myself under a bus, but what I've been doing up until now hasn't been working. I'm just going to have some faith, have some trust and do it. Yeah. Absolutely. And then I feel like the next part after that would be sitting with it, like making the decision, facing the scary thing. And then the discomfort after I often found so excruciating. And I know our therapist spoke a lot about trying to distract from that. I'd go to sessions with her and say, but it's, I can't do it. It feels so awful. I can't do it. And people actually messaged me that on Instagram as well saying, I really wish I could do what you do, but I can't, I feel too guilty. And I always think that I'm not doing it because I don't feel guilty. I haven't got to the point where I'm ready to do it. And so that's why I've done it. I'm doing it despite those feelings. And so Corrine would say to us, have a distraction. What can you do to take your mind off it, to distract yourself? Um, the aim isn't to just sit in a pit of discomfort, like try and help yourself through it. So I don't know, did you have any things that helped you when you were feeling like that? I would reach out to friends a lot. I was really open with friends and family about what I was going through. I think it was really clear what I was going through anyway. And they'd seen the journey that I was on. And I just found that really, really helpful. It made me not feel so alone. Um, I know that Mia, who um, I'm part of Beyond Body, and she always says like a really helpful just thing to think of distraction is to use it as two things, something that's mentally occupying you and physically occupying you so for instance listening to a podcast and doing a jigsaw so you're like using both parts of your brain and I think that's really really helpful advice so always when you're thinking of your distraction think of two things so you know that I think that's really um useful 
but yeah I don't play instruments or anything like that or I'm not very artistic I think if I did art or something like that it'd actually frustrate me more than help <laughs> soothe me um so yeah it was it was those kind of things I love reading I love listening to music like getting fresh air you know being in na- nature is massive for me that's really really helpful um you know I, I'm in I guess- spirituality that kind of stuff so and all of that kind of stuff helped me to kind of get out of that space mm-hmm yeah I love that advice so much I completely agree like I feel like there's a sweet spot with a distraction where it's stimulating enough but it's not requiring so much of your brain power that you can't quite concentrate on it but it's not under stimulating so it's different for everybody isn't it for me reading I love reading but reading wasn't distracting enough for me like my thoughts were louder than the words on the page so I try to read and I just end up reading the same paragraph over and over again whereas a jigsaw and a podcast I didn't find that in my recovery and I wish I had because I think that would have been the best distraction ever yeah um, arts and crafts was brilliant for me if I had a project on the go that was already sitting out on the side and then I could just go and pick it up straight away kind of thing like making a quilt or like a patchwork quilt um knitting I didn't actually knit but I imagine knitting would have been good I think that's really good advice as well by the way to have it out ready to not be like oh where is my arts and crafts mm-hmm, and my knitting mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff like have a little area in your house yeah, you just go to and just yeah exactly and just go and just get that stuff that you need yeah or draw even just write a list of things that are distracting for you oh and another thing I remember Corinne's advice was not to have it food body or movement related so it's not exercise so that you're using it as a compensatory strategy to then undo the thing you've eaten yeah exactly But yeah, quite often I would try with distractions, but sometimes the feeling was just so uncomfortable. I didn't feel like I could properly distract me. I suppose what I wanted was this magic thing that would make me completely better. And in all honesty, I I don't think I ever found that. Some of it was just tolerating it, knowing that it's going to pass and that it will pass on its own. It doesn't need me to come in and quick fix it with something like missing food later in the day to make up for it. I don't need to compensate myself to make myself feel better. It will just pass with time. I completely agree people say that to me now as well like what what was it what what else can help me it's almost like there is no magic pill um to make it it's just it is it's tough recovering is tough but a hundred percent everybody can do it it's like you said you've got to go through tolerate the discomfort and then repeat and repeat and it and just trust the process surrender to the process like you've already tried having your eating disorder and it's not making you happy it's not living up to everything that it's promising you so now give this a go and and see it through you know with the challenge repeat thing did you ever kind of make the mistake of thinking you could just challenge something once and that would be it done yeah exactly so I don't know if it's because I've got a background in education or I love a to-do list. So what I did (laughs) is I created a grid. I love a grid. And um, like down the left-hand side of the grid, I had all my fear foods and food rules, literally all the way down. And then across the top, I would have week one, week two, week three, week four, week five. So it's like a grid. And this is something I created. And then so I would like highlight the foods that I was going to be eating that week. Um, and then I'd write the date of when I ate them in the grid and then I it was a really good simple visual easy way to be like right okay these are foods I haven't eaten for a while because obviously like I was in recovery for two years so it was a a lot of the times it was about going back and making sure the food stayed in not it wasn't just a one-off challenge so 
it was a really good visual way of being like, oh, you haven't eaten this food or you haven't broken this rule for however long let's go back and do that and I would literally bring them to my therapy sessions every week and uh, with my therapist we would choose like which ones I was going to challenge and I found that really really helpful um did you do that how how about you what was your way to get around that one um I love that by the way that sounds great as official and I love as well like you're saying it's not just the one-time thing you can see oh this hasn't been done for a few weeks and did you ever find you'd go back to it and it become difficult again Yes. Yes. And then you'd have to re-challenge it. Yeah. It was never as difficult as the first time. I must say like that first time where I would, because so with our challenging foods, it would be like the same food two to three times that week. So the first time we challenge it was awful. Like you said, the second time, sometimes it was still really, really bad. But by the third time it eased somewhat, right? Um, so it was never as bad as like the first and second time when I'd go back to it, but it was still not where I thought like tick challenge done. I'm fine with it now. All good. Like, no, it wasn't the case. I had to, did have to go and challenge it. Also, like, I think foods, it's not just about challenging a particular food. It's about challenging it in a range of situations. And also for me, a massive one was company. So, okay. So I can eat the challenge food when I'm with my husband or I can eat it when I'm going out for food with a friend. But can I do it when I'm on my own? Can I do it when I'm doing it as a takeaway? And I know for you, that was something, right? Like sometimes Bren would go out, you'd have to get a takeaway by yourself and be like, I'm doing this. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that that's an important aspect of it as well. It's not just the food, it's the conditions around it. Yeah, I couldn't believe that the the context of challenging things and how much of fear could rewrite itself. You challenge it in the one circumstance and it's like, okay, you can have this now, but only under that exact set of circumstances. If you had it on a Monday, don't even think about having it on a Tuesday. Like we're allowed it on a Monday, but that's it. It stops there. So then you'd have to go back and be like, okay, so now I'm going to do it on a Tuesday to show myself I can do it on a Tuesday as well. But it was down to like, if I use cheese as, as an example, it would be like, okay, you can have it cold, but you can't have it melted or vice versa. Or you can have cheddar, but you can't have brie. Or you can have it grated, but you can't have it sliced. Or you can have it at home, but you can't have it out. Or you can have it at work, but you can't have it at a restaurant. Or you can have it on a weekend, but on a weekday. Like It was just endless. And some of the things, it felt like there were so many iterations of the challenge before I got to the point where I was like, I can now unconditionally have this food and I feel completely fine about it. It doesn't taste like anxiety anymore. I'm not trying to compensate around it. I'm not getting thoughts to compensate around it. I don't have conditions attached. Like I am just allowed it. It's so true, isn't it? It it sounds so strange, but it resonates so strongly. I mean, that's just cheese and it can be with basically everything. Um, Mm -hmm. I really fancy a cheese toasty now, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think, and you've made an amazing TikTok about that. Um, so if anybody's on TikTok, that's a really good one to look out for because it's so it's so good showing all the different examples of that. Yeah, I think I did a YouTube on it as well, the actual process of me doing it. And I'm sure that's one of the ones the first time I did it, it tasted of anxiety. And then I did it again and again. And I love cheese now. I love which I I actually thought I hated cheese. I would just say flat out. I hate cheese. But now I love all types of cheese melted or unmelted or out or in in being at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah (laughs) yeah absolutely but I I guess it makes sense as well like that you would need to do it this many times and in this many circumstances like if you think about 
how long you've avoided the foods for and that brain wiring and the fear that's built up around them, the avoidance that's built up around them. No wonder it's going to take more than one exposure or it's going to take exposure in different scenarios. Definitely. And even I feel like almost the word challenge, there's something about that that doesn't sit quite right with me because it's not a challenge just for the sake of a challenge. It's the aim is this food is going to become a part of your diet permanently and you're just allowed it all the time. Like once it's in, it's in. That's another mantra I used to say to myself. Like I'm not challenging whatever I'm challenging just to be able to do it this week. I'm doing it so that I can now permanently have this for the rest of my life. And sometimes I don't think that really clicked with me. It felt very much like a task for that week, but obviously I'm not going to still have this in a month or in a year, but realizing like, no, now this is in, it's in forever. This is my kind of new way of eating now. And I'm just allowed this food. How did you stay conscious of it? How did you stay conscious of the fact, like, have I had this food? Because obviously we can't have every single challenge food every week for the rest of recovery. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. I don't think I was as structured as you, but I, I love that. I wish I had had that grid. I feel like that would have been brilliant. You love so a to-do sure. list as well. You'd yeah. love, you'd love <laughs> ticking away at that. Oh, love it stationary. Absolutely. <laughs> love a list. <laughs> yeah, love a notebook, love a pen. Yours would be the prettiest <laughs> grid ever. It would be. Love a doodle. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that grid would have been so helpful. Um, so I'm not sure, but it definitely it got to a point where I didn't need to consciously think about it anymore. Like it's not like now I'm thinking, oh, if I had brie recently or if I had grated cheese recently, have I only been having it sliced? Like now I feel like I've broken that old brain wiring and I've relearned a new set. Like it's it's neutralized now. Whereas before I was challenging it, but still in risky territory. Like I challenge it a few times, but not enough to counteract the severity of avoidance that I'd built up kind of thing. I think once I'd kind of got to that point where they'd leveled out somehow, then things neutralized and then I didn't need to be conscious of it. But before that, I did need to be conscious. I just perhaps wasn't as structured as I could have been. Another thing I noticed was that some foods would kind of almost felt like they were never neutralizing. And I was like, why is this thing not neutralizing? And then I realized it's because I was kind of keeping a toe in restriction. So some days that idea of challenge at two to three times a week. So I would challenge some things two to three times a week. And then on the other days, I'd go back to the restricted version. So on those days, I'd feel comfortable and safe and like, okay, this is good. And then on the challenging days, I'd feel like, oh, this is awful. And then on the non-challenging day, I'd feel like, okay, I'm safe again. So it's kind of like ricocheting backward and forth between challenge and feeling safe so it never broke that fear um so for those things I actually had to challenge them more than two to three times I just had to challenge them always like whenever I had that thing I had the challenge item it wasn't just that I did it as an odd one-off challenge it just had to be that's it now like it's just in the this challenging thing is the new norm until it neutralizes which it then did once I was then having it all the time then I lost the fear of or this version's challenging this one's safe it was just this is just fine now yeah so something like a a food that you would have on a daily basis or a rule that yeah applies to every day yes if it's like milk that you're using in your breakfast or spreads that you're using in your sandwiches something that you're having every single day yeah I kind of learned the hard way that I couldn't keep going backwards and forth but backwards and forwards between the two I had to just commit and that once it's in it's in like I, I just don't use the restricted version anymore yeah and I don't know how are you now with things like are you do you feel like you consciously have to keep things in your diet do you like when you go food shopping or anything like that are you consciously looking for certain foods no no it's 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 not that 
grid like uh, mentality anymore it's just like you said I think it's something to do with the the brain wiring is just completely different now and yeah it's 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 not even something that you have to worry about or be conscious of in the same way of course like we protect our recovery and and for that that means for me that I don't ever cut food groups out and I don't um I don't know I it's not even an incentive to ever dabble with anything like that anyway but I just have that rule that I would never never do that um so yeah it's less of it becomes less of a need to be a conscious thing as much as you protect your recovery Mm -hmm. I guess that's more like now protecting your recovery is a lot to do with protecting your emotions and making sure you've got other coping skills in place when life gets hard because life will always get hard it's that you recover and life is rosy and you know we all have difficulties we all have challenges because yeah I mean with kids alone you have enough you know they bring so much joy and so much happiness but with love also becomes you know there's so much potential hurt as well so you have to just have loads of different ways to look after yourself emotionally because you know messing with your food will never ever be and for me exercise will never be an option for you anymore and with that maybe there's certain times where you're a bit more conscious of protecting your recovery than others if you're going through a big change or transition in life or something very stressful or devastating happens you're a bit more aware like I'm vulnerable now so I need to just ensure like I would never consciously go back to it. I'm sure you wouldn't either, but even as an accidental that you're protecting yourself completely, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Also, I feel like there's some relief in having challenged things as well. Cause I, I used to have so much stress over, like if I went to a restaurant, what was going to be served to me, but just knowing that I can have anything that is just so liberating. Like if so I used free. to get coffee, if I, if I used to get a latte from Starbucks, I'd be watching the guy around the corner of the counter to make sure he'd followed my 15 awkward instructions, you know, and that, but now I don't need to, I've got the fullest version of everything. I don't have sugar free. I don't have low fat. There's nothing else he can do to my drink. You know, I don't need to watch him. And there's, it's just, it's so freeing that. Yeah. It's incredible. And being able to go to a restaurant and know that you can't just only have one item on there that you're going to adapt. And I used to get really conscious of like, in the in the restaurant you know what I was going to say to the waiter because I would always speak to the waiter and give them like all the adaptations and I was really embarrassed about what mm-hmm. the people might think of me whilst I was doing that so it's it's just so nice to be able to say I want that and that's it and yeah it's just yeah. so much easier it's so much simpler and then you can focus on talking to people enjoying your time not focusing yeah. on food yeah to the extent I guess that you've got no medical reasons that you'd have to order adaptations to be able to not have any cognitive rules around it is so freeing yeah absolutely of course if you've got allergies and stuff I know it must be really really tough for people especially if you're recovering and you've got allergies it must be really difficult Mm -hmm. that's where I guess a dietitian is so helpful though isn't it but in that circumstance particularly you know to make sure that you are being able to recover um for your unique situation Exactly. Yeah. Individualized treatment. Like as much as we're talking, I guess we're only two people's experience, aren't we? So having treatment that is tailored to you and your needs in that respect. Definitely. So I wonder about your experience once you started challenging things and overcome that initial um, anxiety stage. I think you were kind of saying earlier that sometimes you did enjoy it, but did you find some foods as they were becoming neutral almost became 
super exciting before they neutralized. They almost went from fear to super exciting. And then they felt a bit like, okay, it's just a whatever. I've had it several times. I can have it whenever I want. You know, you're a bit more indifferent at that stage. But did you have that kind of obsession and love and excitement phase? Definitely. Yeah. And I I guess that was part of the enjoyment of the recovery part was enjoying all these foods that I hadn't allowed myself. And because the anxiety had gone down, I was able to actually enjoy them. And like, you know, my eating disorder was 10 years and it was really, really, really rigid. And being able to be free with those was so fun on an ability to be like social, to be spontaneous, to actually enjoy the taste of food because food is amazing and it tastes awesome. So like, yeah, it was great to be able to do those things. But then, like you said, after a while, it was like, and I had to keep eating those foods over and over again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to just like surrender to that process. At times that was a bit scary. I was like, why yeah. do I keep wanting to eat this food over and over? <laughs> scary because it feels at the time like it's never going to end. Never going to end. It's like a bottom of the pot feeling towards a food. Yes, definitely. Um, exactly. And it it feels like it's never going to stop. I can re- only relate it to like when you're pregnant and you've got a craving for a particular food and you're like, I still crave this today. Okay. And the next day. Okay. But I think you have to accept with recovery, like you have restricted your body for so long for that food. Like it's not just about physical satiety when we're eating. It's also about your mental satiety. So, you know, even if calorie wise or whatever wise you're eating enough food, your brain also needs to be satiated. So it's making sure that your body knows it's going to keep getting that food over and over again, and you're not going to restrict it. So yeah, it's an important part of the process to trust that the cravings will Mm -hmm. subside and you will be able to eat that food and feel satiated and not necessarily want it the next day all the time. Yeah, I had the experience too. And it was scary, but I think the more you go through it as well, that was one I could call upon and be like, I know it happened for this item. I know I overcame an obsession with Frappuccinos, for example. So then I would use that when I hit my next obsession and be like, this will neutralize too, but you kind of have to honor it to get out of it. If I keep avoiding it, it's never going to neutralize. I will stay feeling like this around it forever. I have to kind of, yeah, honor, honor that as an obsession. Absolutely. And I think it was part of like, the incentive to recover from your eating disorder is to not allow your mind to be occupied by food. And if you are still got, if you've still got some level of restriction because you're not allowing yourself to have the fear foods as much as you want, your brain is still going to be occupied. So if you want to recover, like just do it, go for it, you know. And how did you go about that? Did you have this kind of all in approach where you hit an obsession and so you just sat down and endlessly ate it until you overcame it or were you a bit more structured about it did you work it into your grid work it into my grid yeah um so I think when I first started recovery it was a bit more structured just because I needed that but I think as time went on and obviously like I was I had so you know I think as you recover you realize even more why recovery is so important and why you want to I think the incentives go up more and your motivation goes up more because you realize how much your life is opening up so I think as that continued I was like right I haven't recovered yet what else can I do to push myself to push myself to push myself and I think like we have this idea of all in it's like you're just sat there eating something non-stop for days and weeks and months or whatever your body is amazing like it just doesn't feel like it wants to do that over and over again I think it's if you allow yourself to eat as much as you want, 
when you want it, your body naturally just finds a balance. And I think that I didn't, so I kind of see it like a tower of cards and each of the cards is a different fear food or a food rule or a belief. And I think in the beginning of my recovery, I was taking cards off the top, you know, like I was challenging a food or I was challenging a belief. But I think that as recovery went on, I started to realize I needed to challenge the cards lower down. So for instance, like exercise, I couldn't take exercise off slowly, slowly. For me, I had to go a bit, I had to go cold turkey with it because it was, I wasn't able to fully commit to slowly taking it down so when I took that card off it's like a load of other cards kind of fell down too and I think that's what made it look like I was making kind of a bigger jump in recovery maybe like an all-in type of look because I was cutting you know like or for instance gaining weight as I gained weight my relationship with my husband got better my friendships got better so it kind of challenged the belief that I have to be thin to be lovable And like that has such a knock on effect on so many other aspects or so many other beliefs or so many other food rules or timings. Like if I couldn't eat past a certain time at night, if I challenged that one, that has such a knock on effect on being able to socialize or what restaurants you can go to or what you can take part in. So I think that was, yeah. So I guess it was less structured in that sense, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's lovely to hear as well. That sounds a bit like, what we're saying about the toolbox of at the beginning, you're literally writing lists of why do I not want to be like this? And why do I want to be different? And sometimes you almost feel like you're trying to trick yourself into it. Like you don't really believe the lists whilst you're writing them. And then you have a bit of blind faith, but it sounds like as the process went along, you started actually living the lists and it was a reality for you. And you held that incentive in your heart. It wasn't, I'm trying to write it out on a piece of paper and force myself to believe it, but you were living the incentive. I love that. That's exactly it. Like living the incentives and you feel like, wow, I've made it this far. I've made, I've done so much that I never thought I'd ever be able to do. So let me just keep going. Let me just see how much more my life can get better or improve or how many other doors can be opened. Or maybe my dream of being able to do this or that could actually be true. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And I imagine you still had some discomfort around it as well. Did you? But this kind of trumped the discomfort it wasn't like woohoo let's go absolutely so much exactly it just trumped the discomfort that's exactly it and you know it was you know the exercise part was really tough for me giving it up and then you know there were other difficulties seeing other people exercise there were so many challenges it wasn't like oh great now I'm free I've got all this extra time to do whatever I want no it was really really tough I had to use other tools other techniques I had to reach out to people I had to you know, but you learn so much about yourself in that process, because I think when you go through the eating disorder, it's very like robotic in terms of my life was really robotic, what I ate, my routine, what I did. So it's, um, it's kind of discovering life and what life is really about and and who you want to be in life and achieving what you want to do. So yeah, it's, it's, a it's an amazing process. And it's also a really challenging process. But you know, through the difficulties, you find your strength. What was it like for you? I think you had more of a structured approach to recovery, right? Yeah, I did. I was more structured. And even with these obsessions, I did do it in a more structured way. And honestly, I think whatever works for you, I wouldn't ever tell anyone to go all in or to follow structure. I think as long as it depends what the end destination is, you know, like where do you want to get to ultimately? And as long as you're getting there, whatever the route it is that works best for you, go for it. You know, as long as it does work best for you. And personally for me, 
I think all in, I, I don't think I could have committed to it. I think I'd have overwhelmed myself and then run back to the eating disorder. And then I'd have tried all in and then I'd have run back to the eating disorder. And I would have ended up in that kind of compensatory yo-yo kind of loop. So having that structure for me, having a meal plan, planning in when I was going to challenge things, it did help me. It definitely did. And even with the obsessions around foods, if I was going through an obsession with a certain thing, I would kind of work it into my diet a lot so that I was having it regularly. But at the same time, I did relax as well. It, I Towards the end of my recovery, wasn't rigidly three meals, three snacks. Like if I then felt like I wanted my obsession, whatever it was that that week's obsession later on in the day I'd have it and I wouldn't be like but is this a snack is this a dinner how what shall I miss out of dinner if I'm having this now you know I was just like I want it I'm honoring my obsession it was a decision like I respected my body enough to decide to have it you know 100%. um but that kind of came with time so I'd say I I followed structure which then relaxed with time um and then I guess to the point of total it totally relaxed to things are now just allowed because they're allowed they don't have to be planned. Yeah, I love that. It makes a lot of sense to me. I think part of it for me was that I was so rigid in my eating disorder. So actually it was like a total surrender for me and eating mm-hmm. spontaneously, like not eating on set just meal times or just snacks was really important to my recovery. And I think it's di- that's different for everybody, right? But some people's spontaneous eating isn't a big deal. Like that's not a huge thing for me. For me, like eating something outside of my meal or snack or whatever would have been terrifying so I kind of have to really really break that rule yeah absolutely I'd agree with that that was definitely was for me too as well like my family for example would have crisps and nibbles out whilst they were cooking dinner and we would just eat them to be sociable like it was almost like we would put on music the crisps were just like playing music you know they weren't an item of food they were just part of that sociable experience experience just like I wasn't thinking well if I listen to a song now should I listen to less songs later in the day do you know what I mean have I already listened to a song today should I listen to a song now you know (laughs) my family didn't treat it like that and we would say go to the pub before dinner or we'd have a drink at home and like we'd get cider and I wouldn't then want to be like well I'll have the lowest calorie version of everything or I won't have this or I'll miss something elsewhere to make up for it like I really didn't want to live like that so it was a big incentive for me as well to do that so I guess at that point that I was structuring a challenge to be spontaneous. Yes. Ironically. Yeah. It, no, but that makes sense, doesn't it? And you have to do that until it kind of like neutralizes and becomes easier. Yeah. Meg, it's kind of crazy that you did all of this challenging process on camera, on YouTube. When I think back on it, how hard it was, how difficult it is, what we're talking about now of how tough it was, you did this yeah. with an audience. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I actually wish I'd done that more. I feel like a lot of my YouTube videos, I was talking about a topic, which is much easier to do than sitting in front of a food that I was scared of and actively going through the process. That thing of like, it's easier away from food than it is in front of the food. And I found that with recording, if it was just a topic, it was much easier for me to talk about. But if it was, I'm literally going to challenge my fear of cheese toasties at a cafe today. Those videos were so difficult because it's the last thing you want to do when you're in that state is whip out a camera or that was the last thing I wanted to do anyway. So I kind of wish I'd been able to do more of them. I really do. I did a couple. I did it around salad dressing, cheese, a couple around takeaways, but I feel like they're about, they make up about 3% of the videos, honestly. And I really wish I'd done more because I think it could be so helpful that actually watching it in action, how difficult it really is. Because I do feel like some of the recovery videos out there, sometimes recovery looks quite fun. And some of the challenges are very like my cat picks what I eat for a week or 
you know, I'm going to eat McDonald's <laughs> for every single meal and snack, or I don't know. Sometimes I just felt yeah, like they I know you unrealistic. Like they didn't necessarily reflect how I was going to continue living my life, mm-hmm. you know? So I really wish I'd done more, but it was so difficult to do. I just, I, I found challenging so tough. I don't know how many of them I'd been able to make. I would have been able to make. I mean, I wasn't able to make that many. So your videos <laughs> have made a huge impact to so many people. So the ones you have done, like, it's amazing that you did that. Thank you. Like, I've thought about like trying to recreate it now, like talking through how it would have challenged something with a food now, but I still, I just don't think I could capture that feeling of wanting to rip my skin off. You know, it's just, it's not it, the same. Talking about now, it's hard to remember like just how extreme that feeling felt. Yeah. You know, I know, I know. I think back and I think, oh, how did I find that that hard? It's really difficult, isn't it? To get back into that mindset. And then when, when I'm speaking to clients, sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, I remember feeling like that. I remember that mm-hmm. going through my head, mm-hmm. but yeah, you can't, it's difficult to get right back into that, into that place mm. again, which is a good thing, I guess. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So thank you so much for sharing all of that, Meg. So to end the episode, could you just summarize the process of challenging fear foods? Mm, yeah so when I was challenging foods I would say to myself challenge repeat challenge repeat don't compensate challenge repeat so I'd say that was kind of my approach was to have things repeatedly without compensating around them then distracting to tolerate the discomfort afterwards and yeah repeating them consistently keeping them in my diet forever they weren't just one-off things And ultimately, just knowing that it was actions, I wasn't going to think my way out of a fear or desire my way out or my incentives would be so powerful that then I would just stop having this fear. The way I broke my fears was to repeatedly face them without compensating or safety seeking around them. And then with time, they neutralized is probably how I would summarize it. How does that feel for your process? Beautiful summary. Beautiful (laughs) summary. Um, so yeah we really hope that this episode's been helpful and that if you're in the process of recovery that please trust in the process and know that the challenges that you're facing right now are 100% worth it yeah it will neutralize things will get better it will neutralize it will get easier thank you for listening to the rewired podcast and thank you to Taluda Self our fabulous podcast editor and producer whose details can be found in the show notes You can find me, Meg, on Instagram at Megsy underscore recovery. And me, Sophia, at Sophia underscore ED recovery coach. We will use this space to share some of the things which have helped us in our own recoveries, but none of it should be taken as medical advice. If you're struggling, please seek help from a professional. See you on the next episode.